For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. It's time for Power of Prophecy with your host, former professor at the University of Texas at Austin, career United States Air Force officer, and best-selling author, Tex Mars. Hello, friends. This is Tex Mars. Welcome to another edition of Power of Prophecy. Well, today we're going to be looking looking at the uh, largest uh, so-called Christian church in the world. About a billion people or so, it all depends on who you talk to. From Rome itself, the Vatican, comes the Pope and his Korea. And today we're going to be talking about the Pope of Rome, the uh, Vatican, uh, and this new Pope, Pope Francis. Now, uh, Pope Francis is gaining a lot of popularity over in Europe and maybe around the world. He comes from, uh, I believe, Argentina. I'll have to make sure of that in just a moment with my guest. But uh, he's got a fresh face, and he seems to be a, a, a nice man. But he's already said some things that have startled uh, a lot of uh, old-line Catholics. Now, I don't know why they would be startled, because evidently uh, these things have been said before in many other ways, but He's saying them in fresh ways that sort of, well, they surprise you. My guest today is the author of Solving the Mystery of Babylon the Great. You know, Mystery Babylon the Great is an incredible mystery. Revelation 18 talks about uh, Babylon the Great. It's the system that spreads around the world in the last days uh, and uh, may even produce the Antichrist. And we're pretty close to that age, aren't we? But... The question is, what power does the Pope have? What has he said recently? And why did uh, Pope Benedict leave office before he, well, before he died? So we, now we have two popes. One is the Pope Emeritus Benedict, who lives at the Vatican apartment. And we have Pope Francis. And we have today a very special guest. Ed, are you there? I am. All right. Well, listen, you know, we've been offering your book for quite a while, Edward Henry, and you say you're going to track the beast from the synagogue to the Vatican. So we, we have the, the Jews that are somehow, uh, well, would you call it uh, integrated in with the Vatican? Well, the, the, uh, the Vatican uh, is, as you know, the headquarters for the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church is a a crypto-Jewish, that is, it is a concealed uh, uh, Jewish religion. So it, it, they present themselves as a Gentile church. Their doctrines, however, are, are, are Jewish, and in essence, they are Babylonian, because Judaism flows from Babylon, and that Babylonian doctrine has found its way into the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, it is the it makes up the pillars 
of the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. The, the, uh, the present Pope, Pope Francis, uh, he is uh, a Jesuit. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, the, the Jesuits were founded uh, by Ignatius Loyola, uh, who was a Morano Jew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, uh, the Jesuits are a crypto-Jewish uh, organization from the start. So they began uh, with a uh, Jew uh, founding them, uh, Ignatius Loyola. Uh, <laughs> he was probably, as you said, a crypto uh, Jew because he stayed a Jew. You know, it doesn't matter in what uh, uh, country uh, or nation that they're in, the, the Jews stayed, they stay Jews. And they have, uh, they really don't even have dual loyalty. They only have loyalty to their nation. And uh, it might, right. might be formed as Israel or may not be, but... So we we have now we let's just start let's go back in time. We're going to be looking at Pope Francis in some detail, but I'd like to look at the Jesuit order because the Catholic Church was having a lot of problems at the time because Martin Luther had come up. And we had a, a, a Reformation. Uh, the Protestant churches were forming everywhere all around Europe, and so the the Pope was concerned that he was losing a lot of people. Uh, and before that, you know, he had a, had an iron hand, but now suddenly, uh, people were rebelling against him, and so he began with, uh, Tor- Torquemada, didn't he? And he led the Inquisition and began to force people back into a mold? Yes. So Torquemada, now Torquemada was also Jewish, I understand, a crypto Jew. So we have a Jew, and the Pope used, uh, Torquemada to torture people, so all those tools of the Inquisition, the Iron Maiden and all those things. And then uh, evidently along comes um, this uh, guy, Ignatius Loyola. Now, what, what he was a Spanish Morano, a Spanish Jew. His family had been forced to, uh, at that time, become um, so-called Christians. A lot of those uh, Morano Jews, they would just uh, practice their Judaism secretly and in their homes, and then they would, you know, go to church on Sunday. And uh, in their mind, they were they were just, Blaspheming Jesus Christ, I suppose. But anyway, back to uh, uh, the Jesuits. Loyola went to see the Pope in Rome and said, "I would like to start a new order." Now he was a very—he had been was very prominent, wasn't he? A, a Spanish general. Well, he uh, he was very influential. In in fact, uh, he was um, he was brought before the Pope during the Inquisition uh, because of his influence. Uh-huh. And he swore fealty to the Pope, and it was uh, Pope Paul III who formally approved the Jesuits as a Catholic order in, uh, on around 1540. Mm. And that established the Jesuits as a Catholic order. And the Jesuits are unique among all Catholic orders. Uh, they do not report to the Cardinal uh, of their district, they report directly to the Pope. It is the militia of the Pope, mm. and so they have allegiance only to the Pope. Wow! So they're they're a worldwide group, correct? Yes. Okay, they're a worldwide group. They have a leader, and he's sort of informally, or is it formally, <laughs> called the Black Pope? That's right. The Black because, Pope. Because uh, the he is really. Uh, in many respects, the real power uh, in the Vatican. Hmm. The, they, they're very influential, uh, 
Europe's uh, comes to a great extent through their um, financial power. Uh, these, uh, it started out as it was an organization of Milano Jews. Ignatius of Loyola was a Milano Jew. His uh, uh, Linnaeus, who took over after uh, Ignatius of Loyola died, he was also a Milano Jew. And so the organization uh, is is crypto Jewish. It, it, on its surface, it appears to be Gentile. On its surface, it, it appears to be uh, a a Catholic order, but its allegiance is really uh, to Jew Jewish uh, to Judaism and to the Jewish race. Mm. The um, as they view it. Uh, now I don't I don't view Jews as, as being a race uh, necessarily. Uh, I believe it is a religion. Uh, but that's a, a discussion for another time. But they, that's how they view themselves. Now, now, evidently, uh, from what I've read, the the Order of the Illuminati, which was founded in 1776, by also another uh, uh, Jesuit Jew, wasn't he, uh, Adam Weishaupt? That's right. So, you, um, man, you go you go from the the uh, Jesuits right to the uh, right to the Order of the Illuminati in 1776 and Weishaupt. So you still have the Jesuits. Uh, a crypto Jew was the head of that group too. That, that's right. Um, and Weishaupt was actually a front man. The Illuminati was actually the person behind that was Lorenzo Rico, who was the Jesuit general. The Jesuits, recall at that time, had just been suppressed by the Vatican. Uh, the Jesuits were involved in so much uh, nefarious uh, political uh, uh, subversion of countries that the political pressure came to be such that the Vatican uh, found it necessary to suppress the uh, uh, the Jesuits. Uh, and just to, just to give you an idea of, of the type of pressure that was being brought, there it was an, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll read to you from an indictment in 1762 by the French Parliament. Now, this is something that's not taught in history books, uh, but basically uh, this indictment, called the Jesuits uh, and their doctrine perverse. They said that they were destroyers of all religious and, and honest principles, insulting to Christian morals, pernicious to, pernicious to civil society, hostile to the rights of a nation, uh, and they said they maintained the worst kind of corruption in men's hearts. And other nations as well as France were putting pressure uh, on the Vatican, and uh, it was... Uh, 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 Pope Clement the Fourteenth, who finally uh, suppressed uh, the uh, uh, the Jesuits, and when a secret organization is suppressed, they find it necessary to uh, uh, to then go underground and uh, and create basically a sister organization to keep their uh, uh, their plans in motion. So, and that's what they did with the Illuminati. Uh, they were suppressed in 1773. The Illuminati uh, came about in 1776, as is alleged. And uh, the, uh, uh, they immediately began attacking the Catholic Church because now that they were suppressed, they viewed the Catholic Church as their enemy. Uh, and they, they were the secret uh, uh, society that was behind the uh, brutal French Revolution where you had 300,000 people that were uh, uh, massacred in a godless orgy of, of violence, and they were behind that. 
they attacked the Catholic Church, um, and the Catholic Church uh, learned its lesson, okay? On, uh, 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 in 1814, the Jesuits were restored as a Catholic order by Pope Pius the, uh, the Seventh. And um, that was, uh, those who were in the know, in, uh, in the political realm, knew the danger of the Jesuits. Uh, in a letter John Adams wrote to Thomas Jefferson, uh, he said, If ever an association of people deserved eternal damnation on this earth and in hell, it is the Society of Loyola. And Jefferson responded, like you, I object to the Jesuits' reestablishment, which makes light give way to darkness. So they understood uh, very clearly the dangers posed by the Jesuits. And, of course, they did not miss a beat. As soon as they were reestablished as, as an order, they began their political subversion of various countries, uh, which gave rise to them being expelled from Russia in 1820, uh, Belgium and Portugal in 1834, um, they were um, they were expelled from Spain three times in 1820, 
uh, or early 1500, yeah, 1500s, when, when uh, King James uh, came to the throne, mm-hmm. they, uh, they saw him as a clear threat to the Vatican did. And so Jesuit conspirators, and this was run by the Jesuits, uh, decided to pack the, the basement of the parliament with gunpowder. This is called the gunpowder plot. Oh, yes. And they were going to blow up Parliament, killing all of Parliament and the King. Uh, the plot was discovered, mm-hmm. and the um, the conspirators were were hung. But it was a Jesuit plot from beginning to end, and wow. to this day, um, it is celebrated as Guy Fawkes Day in England. However, right. in the United States and throughout the world, it's unknown. Well, you know, they have that's that something that they that they teach in history books. So that's just a, that's another example of the the type of subversion uh, that the Jesuits engage in. Well, you know, they had a movie uh, recently with uh, oh, I forget, I guess Natalie Portman, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. this guy had a you know he had this mask over his face. He was he was Guy Fawkes in England, uh-huh. and of course he finally did blow up the Parliament, uh, which caused uh, a, a lot of uh, you know people around the world. Now wear that same Guy Fawkes mask, and there many of them are anarchists uh, to this day uh, to take yeah. over from the Jesuits. Now they also had something to do with the foundations of the United States. I mean, the Jesuits were very big in uh, North and South America, Canada, the United States, and and even down uh, in Brazil and Argentina. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I recall uh, reading a little bit about Bill Clinton's life, how he went to Georgetown, a Jesuit school, right? Yeah. But now let me let me just uh, tell people. I'm sorry I didn't uh, identify uh, you better, uh, Edward. I guess I just assumed that people knew of you because we we've been offering your uh, your your fine books for so long. But Edward Henry is an attorney, a very noted attorney, uh, and that's my guest today. And not only that, but he's a graduate of Notre Dame University, a Catholic school. Uh, and uh, aren't you also a, a Loyola graduate uh, for, in law school? I went to a Jesuit law school, but okay. not Loyola. Oh, not Loyola. Okay. I know they yeah. still they still have a couple of uh, universities, law schools, and such in America uh, called Loyola. So they they honor him. And but but anyway, back to America. I think the first um, the first uh, cardinal was a Jesuit named Carroll, wasn't it? Or uh, I believe it was Carroll from Washington D.C. He actually gave the land on which our our capital sits today. So he evidently knew uh, Washington and Jefferson and all those people, but uh, I believe he was uh, he was he went to uh, to Rome and they made the guy a, a Jesuit cardinal, if I'm not mistaken. Now correct me on that if I'm wrong. So uh, well, I yeah, I, um, I'm not that familiar with the uh, with the land grant for the capital. Okay, well I know he owned the land, so I think he he gave it either gave it or for a very cheap price. That, that, that they built the capital on, uh, and they built it, you know, in the form of a, many Masonic symbols. But he himself, uh, I think there was another cardinal at the time that came over named Bellarmine. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, in any case, isn't it interesting that, Je- that Georgetown is a Jesuit school, uh, and uh, our former president, Bill Clinton, who, as you and I know, was a Baptist, supposedly, was a mm-hmm. Southern Baptist uh, church. Uh, that was the only university that he applied for out of 
high school, I understand. Now, isn't that interesting? Why would he want to go to Georgetown University, a very noted school, but uh, in, uh, right out of Washington, D.C.? Remember you and I were there at that conference uh, on, the, on the boat uh, a couple of years back. But isn't that interesting that Georgetown is so powerful? But I understand he met a, a Jesuit um, there named McCarroll Quigley. Yes. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off into other subjects. Maybe I shouldn't, but but I remember at the time that Bill Clinton was so impressive as a student that a that a Jesuit priest asked him to go to dinner, and they went out to eat together. And as a student, the Jesuit priest said, "We want to recruit you to be a Jesuit priest." Invited Bill Clinton to be a Jesuit priest. Of course, I guess Bill Clinton uh, knew uh, where his bread and you know butter was, and so. He decided not to. But isn't that interesting that they recognized, I think, the sinful, immoral nature of Bill Clinton and asked him to join the Jesuits? Sure, sure. Just It shows they know sin, don't they, uh, Ed? Oh, yeah. Boy. Oh, yeah. But Ed Henry is a Christian. Uh, he was born again. Uh, he's left the Catholic Church, and he's exposed it in this incredible uh, book, Solving the Mystery of Babylon the Great which you expose both the Jews and the Catholic Church at the same time. You're taking on quite a task, Ed. Well, it, it, uh, the, the facts uh, uh, speak for themselves. And so the, um, while the book took a lot of research, the facts just come to the surface. It's not any creative writing on my part. The evidence speaks for itself. The evidence is ineluctable that, in fact, the Roman Catholic Church is basically Judaism for Gentiles. And, you know, that's what you're looking at when you look at the Roman Catholic Church, which is why, by the way, the Murano Jews felt quite comfortable in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the liturgy of the Roman Catholic Church uh, was quite acceptable to them mm -hmm. because it follows very closely their Judaic beliefs. And so that's why over the centuries they keep going into the Catholic Church with a Jewish Kabbalah and, and the Talmud and all that, it seems like they just keep drawing closer and closer together uh, in, in various periods. Well, let's talk about this Pope uh, that we've got now, Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. Now, he comes from Argentina, right? Yes. Okay, so now that's that's interesting in itself, but he isn't he the first Jesuit Pope? I can't say that for sure. I, I think he is, but I, I could be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. But in, in any case, now he he's not the he's not the black pope, obviously. So he was very high up as a cardinal in the Jesuit order. But now that he's become the, the pope, uh, I don't know how that would work. How, how would he? Would he? Uh, I guess the well, he, he is he is um, he is under the Jesuit general. So the Jesuit general actually has. Authority over him. Wow. As a Jesuit. He has sworn fealty to the, in fact, if you read carefully the Jesuit oath, um, while they do swear allegiance to the Pope, their allegiance to the, to the uh, Jesuit general is superior where there is any conflict to the uh, their allegiance to the Pope. Now, Pope John Paul II came in, and then he fired Pedro Arupe, the the. Jesuit uh, general, the black pope. Uh, mm -hmm. That was one of the first things he did, which I thought was sort of shocking. Uh, but uh, in any case, he did. But 
uh, now we still we still have a black pope, and we have this pope uh, who calls himself Francis. Uh, I guess he he must love the environment and the the animals and all that like uh, you know Francis did the bishop uh, back back when. But here's what I I want to know. You know this this statement that he made. He seems you know to be a nice guy. He he washes the feet of both women and men, which is you know something that. I guess they do once a year or something, have a foot washing ceremony. Nothing, nothing bad about that, Ed, but let me read to you from the press what it says here. It says, Pope Francis suggests atheists, good deeds, get them to heaven. Now he just had become Pope, right? Uh, so here we have on May 24th, 2013, here's what the Washington Times said. Pope Francis has sparked a religious debate with comments made earlier this week confirming atheists can indeed go to heaven. Now, Christian teaching generally holds that belief in Jesus and not good deeds grants eternal life. But the Pope, in a morning mass on Wednesday, suggested that belief and faith were not the biggest factors. Now, hold up just a minute, because I'm going to ask you a question about that one. The Pope suggested that belief and faith were not the biggest factors. CNN reported that the Pope had said uh, at this Mass, quote, the Lord has redeemed all of us, all of us, he repeated it, all of us with the blood of Christ, all of us. So he said all of us three times, not just Catholics, everyone. And then he, he appeared to be talking to actually to God. He said, Father, the atheist, even the atheist, everyone. We must meet one another doing good. Wow. But I don't believe, Father, I am an atheist, but do good. We will meet one another there. In other words, the atheist is asking the Father in heaven, I don't believe. I am an atheist. And God responds to him, but do good. We will meet one another there. Now, Roy Speckhart, the executive director of the American Humanist Association, like this. Okay, he's an atheist. I gather from this statement, said Mr. Specker, that his view of the world's religious and philosophical diversity is expanding. Now, I want to ask you, Ed Henry, is, since you left the, the uh, Notre Dame and your uh, Catholic law school, would you say that your, uh, your religious and philosophical uh, uh, diversity is expanding? I mean, you're expanded or no? No, significantly narrowed. It's narrowed. Okay, that's that's a that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? That that the head of the American Human Association, atheist, commends the Pope, and he says, hearing this from the leader of the Catholic Church is quite heartening, and he's very pleased about this. Well, I, I, I don't know. Should we be pleased, uh, Ed? Well, we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, the devil is very, very subtle. And if you read in Genesis 3.1, it says, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And so uh, subtlety is his craft. Uh, his specialty is religion. And so subtlety in religion is... Uh, is something that you can't expect from his religion. 
interesting about that statement made by the Pope, where he clearly indicated that atheists um, can be redeemed, can be saved, okay? So there, you have somebody who does not believe in God. They have a religion where they are their own God, and they can be saved. Now, interesting, the Vatican was quick to, uh, the next day, offer a clarification, an explanatory note. It, it was not a retraction, and that's important. It was an explanatory note. Uh, Thomas Rosica, a Vatican spokesman, came out the next day and, and quoted from their official doctrine that those who know about the Catholic Church cannot be saved if they refuse to enter or remain in her. That was his statement, okay? And that is a, uh, uh, a pretty close quote of Section 846 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, interesting, he also quoted uh, Section 847 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church that said, Those who, to no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ and his church, but sincerely seek God and move by grace, try to do his will, as it is known through the dictates of conscience, can attain eternal salvation. Okay? That is the official doctrine of the Catholic Church. Well, I'll tell you what, we're Interesting. Gonna, hold, on, hold on just a minute. Hold your thought on that. because That seems to be contradictory to what the Pope said, but it is a clarification, explanatory note. Let's talk about that when we come back on the other side, okay, Ed? Okay. All right. We're with uh, Edward Henry today, author of Solving the Mystery of Babylon the Great, and we're going to solve some more mysteries uh, when we return in just one minute. Stay with us, won't you? Hello, Tex Mars here again. You know, I'm looking at this great book, Solving the Mystery of Babylon the Great. It's a big book. I'll tell you, it's not something you're going to put in your back pocket. It's a very large format book, twice as big as a normal-sized book. And I suppose it must be, oh, around 375 pages or so. Very documented. It's got a great index in the back. And I'll tell you, I spent a number of nights with this book. Uh, and uh, my personal copy has a lot of... Uh, little notes in it and underlinings and things like that. So you can see it was a very valuable resource to me uh, in my writings and my thinking. So everything in here is documented, though. Now, Edward Henry has a great mind, and he can write novels or anything he wants to write. But in this case, it's for the layperson. But he is an attorney, and he makes his case, I'll tell you. Uh, he'd, <laughs> he'd be winning in a, in a, if he held, held us before the Supreme Court. That is, unless they were a bunch of... Uh, Catholics, in which case they may not be listening much, but he but he does a great job of showing how Judaism and Catholicism are essentially one and the same. Now you may think the Jews have a total different system, and that that Catholicism is not within a thousand miles of what the rabbis are teaching. But you may be amazed, and there's a reason why uh, Pope Benedict wore that uh, Dagon, the fish god headpiece, with a Jewish star of David on it. Yeah, that's right. He's with the Jewish star of David, he wore that. And I think he was uh, symbolizing what he really is. But in any case, 
I want you to have your copy of this book. I think it's going to give you many nights of study and reflection. Uh, and, and you'll just thank God that he has sent this book uh, into your life. Because I don't know of any other book like it. Now, I know of uh, Alexander Hislop's great classic, The Two Babylons. But this does The Two Babylons, well, one up, because it also shows you the Judaism that's involved. And my personal opinion is to take The Two Babylons, read it, and you'll really be rewarded. And then come back to this book and read this one on top. And then let me tell you, you will know more about the Catholic Church probably than virtually every priest. Now, I have worked with Catholic priests uh, in the Air Force uh, many times, and uh, I know a little bit about them and such. And I know that uh, they don't really know a lot about their religion. That's the, just the truth. I suspect that Edward Henry could pass a test uh, and become a Catholic priest if he wanted to. He knows more than uh, than the priests do themselves. But you can know more, too. You can know amazing things about Babylon the Great because the Catholic Church is Babylon the Great. And amazingly, Judaism is also Babylon the Great. So I want you to have this book for $25. For $25, please also send $5 for shipping and handling, a total of $30. And send it to us at Power of Prophecy, 1708 Patterson Road, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N Road, Austin, Texas, 78733. Now, you can go on our website. That would be powerofprophecy.com or simply textmars.com. I'll make sure you spell my name right. Nobody ever does. But <laughs> Even some of my best friends seem to misspell it sometimes. S-T-E-X-E. See there? You're already missing it, weren't you? Okay, T-E-X-E-M-A-R-R-S.com. And uh, you can uh, also phone us, of course. During the work week, just phone us at toll-free, 1-800-234-9673. 1-800-234-9673. And ask the friendly receptionist, say, hey, I like that book about Babylon the Great. Solving the Mystery. I don't want to, don't want you to forget that part of the title. This isn't just about Babylon the Great. This is Solving the Mystery of Babylon the Great. Now let's return to our regular program. We've seen now about the Jesuits and uh, how uh, evidently his, uh, according to the head of the atheists here in America, uh, the Pope has done a great thing. He is, his religious and philosophical diversity is expanding. And uh, he's, it's quite heartening. I mean, the, the, when you're honored by the atheists, I think that's really something, uh, Edward Henry, don't you? That's quite an accomplishment for a religious leader. Yeah, you know, I remember Elijah in the Bible, you know, he had to put up with the Baal. They were worshiping Baal, the, the Jews were at that time. Mm -hmm. And he said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word, it says. The people answered him not a word. So evidently, most of the people, I don't think they even understood what they what he was talking about. I really believe they thought that Baal was the same as God. And that's sort of what we have now, isn't it? When you, I get so many letters from uh, Catholic faithful, wonderful people, and they, they admit to the fault of the Catholic Church, but they say, well, we put up with it, we're O-line Catholics, we don't like it, 
But it is ordained by God. It's the only church. And it, something is wrong with that concept. Do you think I'm uh, being too picky or too narrow, uh, Ed? Uh, no, no, you're being appropriately narrow and appropriately picky. And uh, just as Jesus was, uh, you know, he did, he did not compromise on his doctrines either, and neither should we. Uh, so you're absolutely correct. The, um, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church has a very, very broad scope for salvation. And as the Pope's statement indicates, to include even atheists. So virtually everybody, is, it's a free-for-all in the Roman Catholic Church. They want it very inclusive. It is not narrow at all. And as we know, straight is the gate and narrow is the way uh, to the kingdom of heaven. But wide is the gate to destruction. And so they, they created a very wide gate to include everybody, including the atheists. Um, they, they've got a wide way. To so destruction. They can bring so many people in that wide way then. Well, now, you've, yeah. got to, you've got to, let me, let me mention your book. We, we're not offering it, but I want to tell people about it, The Anti-Gospel. Now, how, that is a book that actually tells people what salvation is and how they can, they can be rewarded with salvation. It's, it's, a, it's, right. a, it's a wonderful book, The Anti-Gospel. A lot, a lot of material in there. You expose a lot of uh, false teachings in churches and uh, heresies, but the most important thing about that book, I think, is you tell people how they can be saved. You tell them what the gospel is. In explaining what the gospel is not, <laughs> you're also showing the greatness of the true gospel. The anti-gospel is the name of that. How can people get that book, Ed? Uh, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's available on Lulu. Uh, you just type in the anti-gospel. It'll, it'll pop up uh, for Amazon. I think maybe the first listing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, either one of those, you can uh, you can buy it on either one. Now you have a website too. People can can they go to that website, or would you prefer that they go to Amazon or Lulu dot com? Yes, they do. Yeah, you can go to the website. It's uh, uh, anti-gospel dot com. I think. Okay. I think. I remember. You never go to your own website. I mean, I do, but you just click on it. It's already there, you know. Yeah, it's antigospel.com. Okay. And it has all the information about the book. You can uh, look through it. You can actually connect to Google. Actually has a, uh, uh, you can look at, uh, well, I think Amazon also does have a, a sample you can look through and, and see if, uh, I have the entire table of contents in there. People can look at it. Now, the, the illustration, the artwork for the book, shows a skeleton praying. That's sort of unusual, isn't it? A skeleton praying on his knees. What's the meaning of that? Well, because the, the anti-gospel is, a, is, a, is truly an anti-gospel. And what it does is it offers a false salvation to those who truly are not saved. Mm. It is a false gospel. And so... We are dead and trust us as in sin. We are born speaking lies. And in order to be saved, you must be born again. You must be made alive by the Spirit of God. Those who are not born again are not saved, although they may be deceived into thinking they're saved. And so the, the depiction on the front, it depicts somebody who is dead and trust us as in sin, but thinks that they're saved, mm. and they've been deceived by this anti-gospel. Salvation comes only by the grace of God, only through faith in Jesus Christ. 
it is not of works, it is not of lineage, it is not of blood. You can only get to heaven by the grace of God. Jesus Christ died as a propitiation for our sin. That means he satisfied God, and God had to be satisfied in order to punish sin. Sin must be punished. So he punished Christ in our stead, in our place. And if one believes in Jesus Christ, then they are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. So we who are saved have the righteousness of Christ. So in God's eyes, we are viewed legally righteous. Our sins are forgiven, they're wiped clean, and when he sees us, those who are saved, he sees the pure, sinless nature of Christ. At the same time, there was a legal transfer of our sins onto Christ. And so he took on our sins legally and was punished for our sins, and we take on his righteousness. It's a legal exchange. And it's very interesting, the anti-gospel, which flows from the Roman Catholic Church, which flows, and the Roman Catholic Church flows from Babylon, there are only two types of religions in the world. You have all of the many, many types of religions with their salvation by works, okay? And then you have the one religion, which is salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, where no works can merit salvation, where you are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. You don't come with your own righteousness. All of these other religions require that you come with your own righteousness. And there are even Protestants who take the view that you must be actually righteous. You must actually, in fact, de facto, be righteous in order to get to heaven. That is, that when Christ dies, you are imparted with actual righteousness. Not legal righteousness, but actual righteousness. And the problem with that theology is that it blasphemes God. Because in the same way that they say that we're actually righteous, because it was a legal exchange, that means that Jesus Christ was actually sinful, and that cannot be. He was not actually sinful. He was made sin legally on our behalf, and he was punished for the sin that we committed legally, but he was not actually sinful, okay? Just as we cannot be actually righteous, it's a legal righteousness. And so the true gospel is a legal exchange. The false gospel is a de facto exchange. And the Roman Catholic Church is on board with that. It is part and parcel of the Roman Catholic Church to require actual righteousness, which is why they require penance, which they, and, and they have, they have a, an actual place that they punish people who aren't, aren't actually righteous enough. They call it purgatory after people die. And I explain all of this in, in, in detail uh, in the Anti-Gospel. It's, uh, it's almost 600 pages long. With uh, Point by point, I go through and authoritatively explain the gospel and explain how it's been corrupted in the Protestant churches. Most Protestant churches teach a free will where man is of his own free will, he's no longer dead and trusted in sin, as the Bible says, a man of his own free will without the regeneration of, of the Holy Spirit can believe in Jesus, where in fact the Bible makes it clear that we are drawn by the Father to Jesus, and without the Father drawing us, there can be no salvation. Okay, now let's, must uh, well, be drawn let's, by Him. Okay, let's, let's, let's stop right there. That's a very important point. You must be drawn by God 
So God reaches out to you, and there's nothing that you do to to achieve this. It's not some kind of reward or something, but but God is good to you, uh, and and you're born again through faith in Him, right? Well, now let's take the Catholic doctrine because the Pope evidently, you know, he must believe in the Catholic doctrine. There, there I have over my bookshelf there. I read it at one time. Did a uh, an actual uh, well an investigative report on it on the Catholic Catechism. But you mentioned that this Father Rosica uh, at the Vatican sort of clarified what the Pope said. Now, the, the, as I understand it, the Catholic Catechism says that Jews are our elder brothers. So they, they must not need Jesus. They're already our elder brothers in the faith, even though they don't have any faith in Christ, which is sort of strange. But the Muslims also are saved as long as they follow their own light, which, of course, would lead them not to Jesus, but to... Uh, Mohammed and Allah. So these two groups, the Catholic Church says, are saved. But then on the other hand, this is what I want to ask you, they always use this term, they say, outside the Catholic Church, there is no salvation. But then they say, if you're a Muslim or a Jew, you're already saved. Uh, so can you clarify that for us a little bit? Yes. What you have here is, if you look at Section 847, I'm sorry, it would be... Um, now, we don't need to know the number. You're an attorney, but we're not. So yeah. <laughs> tell us what it says. That's good enough. Because that's a huge book, the Catechism. Right. Well, let's... I'm sorry, it's 846. Under 846, it says, Hence, they could not be saved who, knowing that the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, would refuse to enter it or to remain in it. So... Who is that? Who are those people who recognize the Roman Catholic Church for what it is and refuse to enter it? Wow. Who are those people that would refuse I don't know knowing what the Catholic Church is? Well, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Jews, they don't recognize it for what it is, or they don't even consider That's it. That's right. You're absolutely right. The only people that recognize it for what it is are Christians. And so what the Roman Catholic doctrine is, it's, attack, it's an attack on biblical Christianity. It is only the Christians who, according to Catholic doctrine, okay, are damned to hell. Hmm. It is only the Christians. So we don't even they, get to... We don't even I get say to Christians. I'm talking about true Protestants, not Roman Catholic, true Protestants who know what the Catholic Church is about, refuse to take part in it, okay, are true Protestants in the sense that they protest against the Catholic Church, they are, according to the Roman Catholic Church, damned to hell. However, they offer salvation to all the heathen religions, okay? Because uh, if the God is uh, in, in 842, section 842 of the Catechism, with regard to non-Christian religions, all share a common destiny, namely God, His providence, evident goodness, and saving designs extend to all, okay? This is one of the sections that was not mentioned by Rosica was uh, uh, 842. The Pope used that then. He, he basically said that atheists, as long as they do good, you know, good things, they're, they're nice people, they're nice neighbors, they believe in fixing the potholes <laughs> and, and uh, you know, paying their taxes or whatever. Of course, that's becoming doubtful these days. A lot of people are mad at the IRS. But uh, in any case, uh, if an atheist is relatively good, they're going to go to heaven, the Pope says. And he is. And, and by the way, 
the Pope's statement is consistent with Catholic, Catholic doctrine. If you look at the Constitution of the Church, which is, uh, comes from the assessment of the Council in Vatican II, they have statements in there that says the non-Christian, now what is meant by non-Christian, uh, may not be blamed for his ignorance of Christ and his church. Salvation is open to him also. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Well, an interpretation given by the religioustolerance.org, which is a Roman Catholic catechism website, says, this statement would seem to include the possibility that seekers after God may attain salvation even though they have not concluded that God exists. This statement indicates that even some agnostics and atheists could be saved and attain heaven if they sincerely sought this Christian God. So what the Pope said is not so radical outside the Catholic doctrine. It's just unknown to most. That's uh -huh. all. He let out a secret. And the secret is, the Catholic, under the Catholic doctrine, virtually everybody is saved except for Protestant Christians who know what the Catholic Church is about and refuse to enter it because they know what it's about. Hmm. So the, 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 uh, they've got the big brothers, that's uh, the Catholics, that's the Jews, but we're not even little brothers then, right? I suppose. I'm just, I'm just being a smarlick on that one. Uh, forgive me. But now, let's, let's talk about something that's very strange. You know, the, the Pope also made another statement, uh, Ed. He said just this last week, that he had to contend with a gay lobby inside the Vatican. He said, we have a gay lobby inside the Vatican. Please pray for me because of the gay lobby. He was basically saying, well, I'm not gay, but there's a gay lobby in the Vatican, and I have to fight with it. Why, why, he's the Pope. Why didn't he just say, okay, you, get, you gays, you're out. You know, you're, you're stricken from being a priest. I guess it has to do with the fact that the Catholic doctrine the catechism, the book that they uh, put together, uh, in fact, Pope Benedict was the one who put it together when he was a cardinal. Uh, Pope John Paul II approved it. But it says that you can be a gay, a homosexual, and become a priest. And I understand the statistics say that some 75% of all Catholic seminarians are gay. Now, 75 I guess it varies from uh, seminary to seminary, but... Three-fourths of all Catholic priests that are going in now, uh, seminarians, are gay. But they say as long as you don't actually do the act, you can be gay. So the Pope says he's got all these gay priests. It's, he calls it a gay lobby. So I, I'm wondering what should he do about that, uh, you know, it, to, to please the Bible, but also to please his own um, catechism. You know, it, it's interesting that they, they, they say as long as you don't do the act, it's okay. Well... A murderer is a murderer because they've committed murder. Mm. A sodomite is a sodomite because that's what they do. It's a description of what they do. Yeah. And it's, it's pure sophistry for them to suggest that these priests don't do what they are. They certainly do. And the evidence shows that those who are sodomites, is, it, it is one of the most uncontrollable urges that they have. Mm. And one thing about the sodomites, they, they're not just are they with adults, but they have a proclivity for children. They have an attraction for children. There was a 
young man who was dying of AIDS. He was on John Ankerberg, and this is going back, I think, 20 years ago, and I saw it on television. And he was within weeks of dying, and he was a, uh, a, a, a Christian. He was saved, but he had lived in the homosexual community. He was a homosexual before he was saved. And uh, he made a, a, a statement which was quite controversial, and he said that what homosexuals really want is they want the softness of a female but the, with the male genitalia. And so ultimately what, these, what the sodomite community wants is children. They want children, and that's what they're going for. And so a, this is not surprising when you look at the behavior and, and it has been publicized uh, in the news about the behavior of these Roman Catholic priests with their pedophilia, pederasty. Mm-hmm. Well, now, Pope Benedict, here's, here's something for you, too, just to consider. Uh, I like to throw out these things just for a man like you to consider, uh, Ed. But uh, according to the Scottish Daily Record, that's the newspaper over in Scotland, Pope Benedict, when he was Pope, he's still alive, of course. He's still at the Vatican. He's the emeritus, Pope Emeritus. But let me read this to you from the Sunday Mail and the Scottish Daily Record. It says, the Pope has revealed that he now believes it is acceptable for condoms to be used by male prostitutes. Well, what, <laughs> isn't he saying it's okay then for... I mean, what is this? Male prostitutes? That would seem to be a, a violation of God's law to be a male prostitute. But he said it's acceptable for condoms to be worn. It, it, yeah, it, it seems very good. It is very good. It is very good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, now this gay lobby, maybe some of these guys were male prostitutes. I don't, I don't know. But they say that right down from the Vatican itself in Rome, just uh, six blocks away, they have a place where they have a, a weekly gay party just for priests. They do bring in all these male prostitutes, and they say there's hundreds of priests that come from all over the city, and even, you know, from uh, the United States and other countries, to this gay party. Evidently, uh, homosexuality is one of the major problems, and the Pope has identified it as a problem, but if it's a problem, his own doctrine approves it. Is, am I wrong in that? Uh, well, it um, it seems to us, based on what they said. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing. Yeah, they have, uh, remember, they're, they're, theirs is the wide way. They have a wide way, all mm. inclusive. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, back in the Mystery Babylon, they they had a a lot of pederasty, a lot of pedophilia. Uh, I, I understand that Semiramis uh, even married her own son uh, when her husband, the king, died. She married her own son, and he became the king then. So there was incest there. But uh, it, it's just a, a, a horrible situation within the Catholic Church. Well, you know, we've got about three minutes. What would you suggest for a Catholic? Uh, I mean, some say, well, I'm, I'm remaining straight. I'm remaining okay. Uh, I don't accept this Catholic Church, this Pope even. But I do believe in the Catholic Church. I don't know how you can reject a Pope but accept the church, do you? Well, it's spiritual bondage. Yeah. So those that are in the Catholic Church, they're, they're headed for destruction. Mm. God calls them out of the Catholic Church. If one is in the Catholic Church and is saved, they won't remain in the Catholic Church. Ah. God saves them, they will leave the Catholic Church. They will see it for what it, what it is. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Eyes will be open. The scales will fall from their eyes, and they will look around, and they will realize that these idols that are in the Catholic Church um, are a violation of God's laws. The Catholic Church itself announces to the world through its idolatry uh, that it is anti-Christian. Well, I'll tell you, I want to say that I'm... We've only got about a minute left here, but I want to say that I'm very thankful that God brought you out of the Catholic Church. And and really, uh, you know, I I like your book, The Anti-Gospel, because basically you say that it's God that saves us, not our own works. And uh, you've been doing a wonderful work for him in, in writing these books. So, uh, Ed, Henry, praise God for you. And thank you very much for being a, on our program today here at Power of Prophecy. Thank you, Doug. And would you stay with me just a minute? I'd like to say something after the program. I'd like to talk with you just a minute. Well, folks, sure. we've had another uh, program here of Power of Prophecy. I want to mention our conference coming up July the 9th, is it? Oh, I'm sorry, the 6th, two days after July 4th. Okay, July 6th in Austin, Texas. Hey, call us at 1-800-234-9673, and we'll tell you more about it, but we're going to have fun. We're going to absolutely have a ball. We've got uh, great uh, uh, speakers. Uh, hey, my namesake is coming here, Jim Mars. A lot of people think that I am Jim or he's me or something. <laughs> We're going to get on stage together. We're going to be different people, uh, but we've got a lot of great speakers. Yeah, my personal physician is going to come and tell you, you may not like what he said, but I don't like it either, about Obamacare, the danger to America that is Obamacare. We have Susie Hupp, and bless her heart, both her parents were were murdered by uh, a crazed killer in Colleen at that cafeteria shooting. But she, she is doing a great work. She's written a book called One Woman's Fight Against Gun Control. And, of course, we have uh, uh, my good friend, uh, Galen Ross, who's going to tell you about, uh, well, who killed JFK. It's the 50th anniversary. I hope you'll come because we're going to have some great times here at Power Pub. Did I forget any speaker, Jerry? Who? Oh, the mystery guest. Yes, we're going to have a mystery guest. <laughs> I'm not, I can't tell you who that is. Uh, I hope he shows up. I might have to speak twice. Uh, I'm not sure, but a mystery guest. Hey, we're even going to have R2-D2, the robot from Star Wars. He's going to stop by and say hello to everybody. We're going to have a great time. Folks, it's only $70. It's an all-day event. Uh, it's at the, Adla- the, uh, the Hilton Hotel. They're only charging like $99 a night. You don't even have to stay there. You can just come there for this session. $70, that'll buy your lunch. We're going to have a free lunch for everybody. So be sure to come, won't you? Hey, you need a place to go uh, July 4th and maybe rest up from the, the uh, going zone, your barbecues or what have you. But come down to Austin, Texas and see us for the, I guess it's the second annual Liberty and Truth Conference, Liberty and Truth Conference. Call us, 1-800-234-9673. We'll register you right up. We'll take care of you. I want you to come. Wanda will be there, and she and I will be shaking hands. Might even hug your neck. Who knows? It it has happened, okay? Well, until next week, friends, this is Tex Mars saying tune in and discover the power of prophecy.